Will you turn your Bible with me, please, to Luke chapter 9? Luke chapter 9. Once upon a time, I was a police officer in the military. And um, sometimes I have to be careful with the illustrations that they're G-rated, I guess, you know. And so uh, one time I was doing a, a training operation, and we'd done a lot of shooting. And so I'm saying that because if you don't like guns or weapons, I apologize. I'm not trying to offend you or anything. That was part of my experience. So as a police officer, I had done a lot of shooting. And we were um, always doing shooting at the ranges where it's very controlled and safe because guns are not safe, let's be honest. You can make them safe if you're careful. And so we were very careful. And on this particular day, we went out to do this uh, live fire exercise, which means live bullets, really shooting things. And there's targets that we were going to shoot. And we were going out to this area where we were going to engage these targets. And we were driving in these trucks. And it was a big operation. There were a lot of people. I had 40 guys with me. And we're going together, and I was in charge. And I, I remember I pulled up to this final point before you go on to the course. And they said, all right, get out of your trucks. Everybody load your weapons. So now on the range, you load your weapon, and then you've got to be very careful with it, right? In this case, they said, load your weapon. All right, get back in the truck. And it was the weirdest. I remember getting back in the truck and just kind of sitting there for a minute like, am, am I sa is safe? Are we good? <laughs> you know, just because it was such, like, we never had done it like this before. And we started driving, and very quickly we came into the action part of this range, and so much is happening so fast, you stop thinking about it, and you just start reacting. But I remember, I remember the first little bit as we're driving. I had a driver. I said, let's roll. He goes, all right. So we start going, and I just remember looking around like, man, there's a lot of bullets here. <laughs> there's a lot, of, a lot of firepower. And there was a lot. We had automatic grenade launchers on top of every truck. That's another story. See, I'm getting out of the G. <laughs> it was a wild experience. And I'm bringing up that experience because David just told us at the table about God has brought us near. And he is way more explosive, way more powerful, way more gracious, way more exciting, way more merciful, way more life-changing than anything we can experience. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of glory. He rose from the dead. He rules the nations. He's the judge of the earth. He is the one who has saved us. By his very word, he made the seas have their boundaries. By his very word, he called from nothing creation and life. He is being. There is no being. There is no life. There is no something that is apart from God. That's why his name is Yahweh, which means I am. He, he revealed himself to say, I am that I am, because he's the only one in all of history who is alive, who is. And from his being, he made all of us. And that God is the one who has brought us near to himself. And if we don't go home looking around and feeling the firepower, if we don't sit in our chair right now and feel a little bit afraid because for the first time ever, God says, all right, drive. And you're like, this, am I safe? With him, you're safe. But he is not safe. He's the Lord Almighty. And as we come to this text this morning, we're going to be reading about Jesus and who he is and what he's done and seeing him as he is, and it's just a great reminder, not just of the greatness of God, but of how great his gospel is. As we come to this text, just for uh, sake of our history here, we've been the last several months actually in a series called Seek the Lord, 
but we haven't made it such a big deal. But we've been talking about seeking God, and really what we've been doing for almost three months now is bouncing back and forth between 2 Kings and the Gospel of John. And we're seeing in 2 Kings how God is revealing himself through the prophets and through things that are happening in Israel's history and the people of God and really their idolatry and how he's judged that. And then also the prophet Jesus, who is the great prophet of God. He is God. So he speaks for himself. And now he's on the scene and he's fulfilling all the things that we've seen that happened thousands of years before he's come. Some of them are actually reminiscent of each other. Like, for instance, the way he feeds the 5,000, Elisha does that too. It's just a little bit different, but it's for curious Bible students, they'll be like, whoa, we've seen this before. Because all of it points to this is the Holy One. And how cool would it be to be Elisha watching He's long died and gone to heaven, and he's with God, and he's watching now the Savior come. And he's like, oh, when I did that, it was because now people will see, oh, my, wow, that, so this, okay, okay. And he's seeing it take place, what God is using to open people's eyes to reveal that God has sent his champion into the world who is going to save us from sin. How cool is that? And so now we're actually going to jump into the Luke, and we're looking at Luke's account now of the transfiguration, which is when Jesus uh, takes some disciples up on a mountaintop, and for a moment they sort of catch a glimmer that he's not just a carpenter's son. He's not just a guy. He's the Lord. But they don't understand all these things yet. And you have to remember in this timeline too, Jesus has not yet gone to the cross. He's about to go to the cross. And so in this time, as they're seeing Jesus transfigured, that means as they're seeing the glory of God start to shine through Christ, um, they don't know what to do with it. So let's read together Luke chapter 9. And we're going to read verse 2. Nope, I'm in the totally the wrong section here. Yes, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Luke chapter 9, 28. Okay, here we go. Let's read together. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came down and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything that they had seen. Lord, thank you for your word. What an amazing scene takes place here. Now, Peter, James, and John are close to Jesus. There are three disciples who are with him. Often, they've been walking with him for three years. Here's an interesting fact. If you're in your mid-30s, 
you have lived on this earth longer than Jesus did. Died when he was 33 on the cross. Now he's the Lord. And he resurrects, and we're going to come to those things. But these guys have walked with Jesus now for three years. They know him well. And so in walking with him and seeing all the miraculous things he's done, they've seen him multiply food. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen blind people restored sight coming to them. They've seen withered hands come back. They've seen people who have all kind of ailments healed with just a word. Sometimes he didn't even go do anything. He just said, done, and it was done. And so now they come up on the mountain, and Jesus tells them, hey, come up here with me. So they walk up on top of this mountain, and as they're on the mountain, what happens to them? They're heavy with sleep. Have you ever thought, Lord, I'm, today's the day. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to just say I'm going to read my Bible. Today, I start reading my Bible through in one year. I'm going to do it. This is the year. This is, um, this, I'm going to do it this time. And then you start going, you get three verses in, and all of a sudden you are just out. And then you wake up 30 minutes later like, what happened? What day is it? What time is it? Have you ever had that happen to you? That's a weird feeling. Never? Rex is like, never, ever. <laughs> never, ever. There's something funny, though. There's something spiritual that happens when you start to seek God. And there's something about coming into things of the Lord, whether it's prayer or Bible reading or whatever, sometimes you get tired and sleepy. I think it's a ploy of the enemy. Spiritual things that happen that we can't see. So these guys come up and this amazing scene starts taking place. I'm guessing there weren't very loud sounds with it because otherwise they maybe would have woken up. But suddenly they come out of this heaviness of sleep and when they're fully awake, could you imagine them grabbing each other like, guys, 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 just smacking each other. What, what, what? And suddenly they see Jesus. How does he look? Shining. His face is shining. His clothes are shining. One of the other Gospels, it says, his clothes are whiter than any earthly bleach could make it. His, his clothes are shining. Everything about him is shining. And there's these two guys with them that they instantly recognize. Who are the two guys? Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses was the one that God called thousands of years before, to deliver the people out of slavery in Egypt. The people of God are in slavery for 400 years. God sends Moses to them, brings them out of slavery. There's a, that's a whole other sermon, many sermons actually, a lot of things. And brings them through the wilderness. And in the wilderness then, God uses Moses also to deliver his law to the people. So God takes a group of people and starts to form them into a nation into a people with laws. And the Lord is going to lead them, and in fact does lead them by a pillar of cloud and by a pillar of fire. And so the Lord's presence is actually with the people every day. And God's own finger writes on stone tablets the laws that he wants them to know. Today we call those the Ten Commandments. I have no other God before me. Don't take my name in vain. Don't murder, those kind of things. And so the people have a code now by which to live. And they've met a king who's far above them, a God king, if you will, who is going to lead them. Now, this is in direct contrast to where they were in Egypt because Egypt believed they had a God king. They believed that Pharaoh was a son of the God, the God Ra, that he was the sun God's, the sun God's son and that he was a representative on earth who would be the God king person to them to do great things in the earth. And in fact, they were a great nation, weren't they? They built amazing things. They had the best army in the world. They were conquering. They were big. And then the Lord shows up on the scene and challenges everything about them. He challenges their dependence on the water and the Nile. 
He challenges their dependence on their crops. He challenges their dependence on the sun. He blots out the sun to show them that their worship of the sun god is actually an idol and there's nothing there. And that only the creator god is the one who has power over nature. He commands frogs. He commands locusts. He commands all kinds of things to show the people that he is God. And finally, the people of Egypt say, depart from us. We can't compete with your God. And now Moses leads them out, leads them through the wilderness, sees the people delivered. It's amazing. And then God's own finger, the one who has proven himself to be the most powerful of all creation, writes the laws on the tablets that they will have so that they become a nation. And now Moses is standing with the one whose finger wrote those tablets in the land in which God called them. And the disciples see them and instantly recognize that's Moses. He's the lawgiver. And there's this other guy, Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. He was a mouthpiece for God. He was one who spoke God's word. He was one that God would say, tell them this, and then he would tell them that. He would tell them that with power. He would do things like call down fire from heaven. He would do things like say a prayer and rain stopped for years and years. He would do things like say another prayer and rain starts. He would do things like run faster than humans could run. He would do things like raise people from the dead. He would do things like smack water in a river and it would part so he could walk on dry land. He did all kind of stuff because the Lord was proving this is the one you need to listen to because the king at that time had led the people into idolatry, worshiping some of those same kind of idols that the Egyptians did and saying, oh, if we bow down to this image of this bull thing, like a bull like Moo, if we bow down to that, surely it will make fertility in our land. And so what does God do? He says, pray that there's no rain. And now, no rain. Who's really in charge? But here's the crazy part. The people see this. They see fire from heaven. They see the miracles. They see all the stuff. And at the end of the day, they say, you know, that one's easier. That one's better. I think we'll stay that way. And so Elijah is a man who, though he moves in all these powerful things, though he sees God do such great things, he really falls into depression. And in this depressed state, he even cries out that God would kill him and take away his life, that he can just be taken away and just let it be done. Why does he feel that way? He feels that way because the nation is not turning to the creator. The nation is turning to these idols and worthless things and following not the Lord of hosts, but following their own desires. And even with the demonstration of God's power, they will not turn their eyes toward the Lord. And so it's the, the weight of that is so heavy on Elijah. He summarizes the prophets. You know, most of the prophets, be careful if you ask the Lord, Lord, make me a prophet. Most of the prophets die terrible deaths. Most of the prophets die in utter shame and in a worldly sense, utter shame and, and failure. Most of them say, turn to the Lord. He's the only way of life. And the people respond by killing them and their families. It's a heavy burden. Even in Jesus' time, John the Baptist is a prophet. And he comes out and he says, you must follow the Lord of hosts. Come and be baptized. Be washed in the river as a sign to say, Lord, I repent. I turn from all these bad things I've done. Wash me clean. I want to be yours. I want to follow you. And a lot of people come and they start to follow him. And then he says something about some of the political leaders who are doing all kind of crazy incestuous things and, 
and sexual sins and all kind of stuff. And he calls them out. And he says, you know the leaders. They're doing these same things. They need to come and repent because the Lord is not one to be trifled with. The Lord is not safe. And so what do they do? They throw him in prison, chop off his head, and they bring his head in the middle of a party on a platter to the ruler. And Jesus said that he was the greatest prophet of all those prophets who had come before himself. It's amazing. Now the disciples who have just, that's their contemporary. This is, they knew John the Baptist. And now they're standing on a mountain with Jesus. They see Jesus shining like the sun. They see the radiance of his clothes. They see Moses the lawgiver. And they see Elijah the prophet. The one with the burden to see the people changed, but it never comes true. And now he's standing with the prophet Jesus, the one who told him what words to speak, the one who said, go and do this, the one who gave him strength, the one who anointed him, the one who led him, the one who did all the miracles. Because people, we can't do miracles. God does miracles, right? But we say the words sometimes and God does them. How amazing. And that's what Elijah had done. And now he's standing with the man, Jesus Christ, who is God and recognizes the voice. Because that's the same voice that I heard. This is, it's you. And they're standing. What are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus' departure. Because Jesus had said that he was here to fulfill the law and the prophets. Not to cast them down. And the fulfillment of the law of Moses and the fulfillment of the turning of the people back to the Lord and all the prophetic words that have been said means that the Christ, the King, the Creator, the One, the All-Powerful, He has to die for His people. Why? Why? Because if He didn't die, God would be a liar. Because God had said from the very beginning, if you sin, if you rebel, if you disobey, you will surely die. So if the punishment is death, how do you undo death unless somebody dies? But God in his graciousness had sent the champion, his own son, who would come to earth now, who would live perfectly without sin, but he would go and he would die for us. And the law and the prophets agree, you have to do this, Jesus. And for just a moment, the disciples catch a glimpse of who Jesus really is. Because he's not just a carpenter's son. He's not just a poor man. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a powerful prophet. He is the Lord. And for a moment, they see God in his splendor, and they don't know what to do. And, uh, and Peter says, uh, it's good that we're here. We'll make some tents. Could you imagine Moses? Standing there telling Moses, Moses parted seas. Moses saw miracles every day. Moses, Moses, the writing, this is Moses. You know, Moses was with God for 40 days, and his face started shining like the sun. So much that when he came down from the mountain after God wrote the tablets of the law, the people begged him, please put on a veil. You go before the Lord for us. If we go, we will die. You be the mediator. You be the one in between us. Because your face is literally nuclear. <laughs> and so he walked around with a veil because the people were terrified, terrified of this king, the God King Jesus, who they didn't even know yet. 
in an amazing way now. Moses is standing with Jesus. Could you imagine hearing what Peter said? Be like, Lord, what's up with this guy? Really? Like, this one? Why this guy? <laughs> the other two are just, ah, they're not even saying anything. Like, you know how to choose them, Lord. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Jesus probably just looked at him like, I chose you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Elijah, same way. Elijah says nothing. He's just quiet. Whatever you say, I'll say. Pretty funny. But here they see this amazing scene. And, you know, Peter, what does he mean by the tents? They can dwell there. We'll worship you all. I don't know what. He, I, he didn't even know what he was saying. The text tells us he didn't understand what he was even saying. He was just so, uh, he just said things. But, you know, the Lord's merciful, isn't he? Because what does the father do? Smoke comes, which Moses recognizes immediately. Because every time God showed up to speak with Moses in the tabernacle in the temple, guess what came? Pillar of cloud. So cloud comes because God's there. He's there. Moses is like, oh, yeah, you, you ever get this, Elijah? No, you didn't. Mm -hmm. This is normal for me. And the smoke's there. It's not normal for the disciples. Oh, God, what's happening? And then they hear a voice. Because they're going to be prophets now, too. To prophesy what God is saying. What does he say? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Don't get mixed up with tents and tabernacles. Just listen to him. He'll follow. You know, follow whatever he says. Listen to him. And just then, goes away. And now they're just standing with Jesus. In the other Gospels, Jesus says, don't talk about this. In this one, it says, they said nothing. Because what do you say? Who will, who will believe you? Could you imagine going back to the campfire with everybody? You look like you've seen a ghost. You sit down, like, how'd it go with Jesus? What'd you guys do? No, uh, Elijah, Moses, uh, smoke, uh, voices. What are you, you going to say? They're going to be like, you're crazy. You're crazy. So let's see what Luke does. What does he tell us? What happens after this? Verse 37. Isn't it interesting how Luke's gospel just goes to this? You know, the Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. That's God wrote the Bible. So in verse 36, these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, they tell no one in those days anything that they had seen. Verse 37, on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, that's Jesus. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. and convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it shatters him. And it will hardly leave him. Have you ever had a child be shattered? Could you imagine? Horrible. It's horrible. Verse 40. I begged your disciples to cast it out. While you were up there on that mountain doing whatever you did, they couldn't do it. Verse 41. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming down, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And they were all astonished at the majesty of God. Astonished at the majesty of God. 
Could you imagine being Peter and James and John? You weren't there to pray. You're with Jesus on the mountain. You're already astonished. And now you come down and you hear Jesus cry out, how long am I to remain with you and bear with you? What is he talking about? Not just unclean things that are happening. One of the other gospels actually tells us that he said, Jesus says, if you believe, God can do these things. And the man replies, whose son is shattered. He says, can you? Can you? The disciples couldn't. Can you help my boy? And Jesus says, can I? How long am I to bear with you? Can I? Could you imagine Peter, James, and John? He can! He can! Whoa, he can! Whatever, don't say that. Just believe he can. Because they're just watching. And the, the dad cries out. He says, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Because his son is shattered. And you know what Jesus says? He says, take this five-step seminar. Peter will train you. He says, tithe more. If you tithe more, I know what you tithe. I'm omniscient. I know everything. You did not tithe enough. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, go wash in the Jordan. He doesn't say five prayers. He doesn't say, do Hail Marys. He doesn't say any of that. He says, bring the boy to me. For somebody who really gets it wrong, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus says, okay. And he brings the boy, and he prays, and the demon flees. In Matthew, it says, the boy laid still as if he was dead. And Jesus walks over and takes the boy by the hand as the crowd stands stunned because it looks like Jesus just killed this kid. And he says, stand up. And then the crowd is astonished at the majesty of God. You know, they're not astonished at the goodness of God. They're not astonished at the brilliance of God. They're not astonished at the mercy of God. They're astonished at the majesty of God. Because this is the king over all things. And he says with a word, get out. And the demon flees. And the disciples couldn't do it. The disciples later come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out the demon? Because God had sent them out before and they'd cast out demons. You know, unbelievers later in the book of Acts are going to cast out demons in the name of Jesus and heal people in the name of Jesus. They don't even believe in God. But at the name of Jesus, there's so much power that the demons flee before him because of his majesty. And they say, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? And he says in Matthew, he says, some will only come out by prayer. In other words, I'm the king. Some only come out when I say it. What do you do with that? Here's James, John, Peter looking at each other like, okay. Like, what, how, how, how do you explain the things you've seen? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Jackie, I loved your prayer this morning. Because we don't keep this truth just for ourselves. Jesus is the king over all people, over all things. Everybody needs to know about him. Everybody needs to know he's the only way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one by which we have life. 
I appreciate your prayer to remember those who are lost and have hope God will, God's going to do something. You know, our prayer is powerful and effective. There are some things that don't happen without prayer. God can do all things, but he includes us in his mission. How amazing is that? And we mess it up. And we say, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And God still says, okay, instead of, you're not good enough. How amazing. Can I have two young people volunteers? Two people under the age of 25. That's what I mean by young people. I am not qualified that. Wes, will you be one? You can do it. I promise I'll be, I'll be kind to you. Come on up. Come on. Come on up. Look at these guys. Christian and Wes. They're beautiful, aren't they? Those are awesome. Okay, who wants to be Jesus? Wes, you're going to be Jesus, okay? You're going to be the church. You're the bride. It'd been better if you were a girl, but that's okay. It's fine. It's okay. It's good. This The Lord knew because he wanted room for the Holy Spirit. Okay, so <laughs> come on up here, Wes. You stand right here. Okay, so Jesus, he's the king of glory. He's God made into a man. He is not necessarily that great to look at. Wes, beautiful. Jesus, the Bible tells us, wasn't necessarily the most, he was a Brad Pitt kind of guy. Not, not like Wes. I'm saying you're better than, maybe even better looking than Jesus. That's weird. I said that in church. Is that okay? I don't know. All right. So, it's the Lord's will, according to Isaiah, to crush him. To place the iniquity of all people out of them and put it onto Jesus. Because people are over here. Can you come on the other side of the table for a second? Right over there. People are distant from God, like David said earlier. They're apart from him because they have sinned. They have disobeyed God. In their heart, in all things, we've disobeyed God. The Bible tells us all of us are like sheep. You know, sheep are stupid. Sheep don't obey the shepherd. They go their own way. They have fallen from the glory of God. They need to meet this standard. But we can never come past this barrier to get up the steps to come back to God by ourselves. Cannot, impossible. Why not? Because Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses. It's not just that we're enemies of God. It's not just that we've sinned. It's not just that we failed. It's not just that one lie I told in the cookie jar when I was four years old or five years old. It's not that just that one time I called somebody a name and I felt bad because I hurt their feelings. It's not just that one time that I cheated. It's not just that one time. It's that we are enemies of God and dead in our trespasses. That means nothing we can do can get us back to the one who is being. Life comes from him. And in his mercy, he lets us live for a while. But we're destined for destruction. Because we were made out of dirt. And so God, in his goodness, sends his own son. And he takes this dead clump. Okay, come on, Jesus, come down. See, he comes down. Comes down. He puts on flesh. He, God, who's eternal forever, puts on clay. And blood flows in his veins. God, who is eternal, now feels temptations like we do. God, who is eternal, knows what it's like for people to betray him. God, who is eternal, has his mom say, go clean your room. And he says, yes, mother. 
and he does it perfect. He doesn't cheat, he doesn't lie, he doesn't steal, he doesn't do any of those things because he perfectly follows all of God's law that was ready, written in stone. It cannot be broken. We broke it, he does not. He's the author of it. And so he takes, pretend like you're carrying, no, you're, you're, you're dead. Pretend like you're carrying, you can walk and bring him back up here, back up over here. There you go, right there. Okay, so now he's being carried like a baby, okay, pretend. And so now Jesus, yeah, right there, perfect. Jesus goes to the cross for us. When he goes to the cross, he takes us with him. A sack of dead weight. And all of the sin and rebellion and wrath and grossness that we have done and deserve comes onto Jesus. So now God the Father looks at his perfect son who has done nothing but obey and instead sees the clump of junk that, is, that needs to be dealt with. And so he's going to put that gross clump in the garbage disposal. He's going to press the weight of all the sin onto Jesus because it's God's will to crush him for our iniquity. And so God looks at Jesus who becomes sin on our behalf and he puts all of the fury of his rage and anger on sin onto his own son instead of us. What does that look like? This is the God who decimated the Egyptians. This is the God who had seas collapse on their armies. This is the God who took the firstborn children of people who would not obey him. This is the God who said, if you touch my mountain, you will surely die. This is the God who met with Moses, that Moses came down with a shining face so that people were terrified. This is the God who showed up in fire, in smoke. This is the God who you do not trifle with because he is not safe. And he took all of that anger and all of that wrath and he dumped it onto his own son and crushed him because he was the offering for us. He gave out all of his anger on sin into one thing. Have you ever spanked your child in anger? Don't answer that question out loud. You love your kid, don't you? But what they did, man. Somebody told me the other day, somebody told me the other day they saw a meme and it said, some of you have never been held by the arm and spanked in a circle and it shows. Now, don't spank your child in anger. I'm, telling, I'm your pastor, I'm telling you, don't do that. But I'm saying, if your emotion can get so hot, if somebody at Culver's gives you the wrong order and you're like, why did you do that to me? And your emotion gets so hot at a Culver's worker, this is the God who created the earth and wrote in stone his standard. And we failed. We failed. And all of that anger gets poured out on his own son. So he dies. And the Bible tells us, come on up here. Come on, person. The Bible tells us then that he rose three days later. When he rose, he brought us with him. So now, put out your arms like you're on the cross. Died in the ground. Now raising to life. And when he raised to life, he's like, scoop him up. Don't really. Look at that. Isn't that nice? This is the picture time. Picture, pictures. He brought us up with him. And now the Bible says, if you believe in Jesus, you can stand normal. If you believe in Jesus, you've been made a new creation in Christ. And that God's own robes are taken off of him and placed onto you. That now when the Father sees you, he doesn't see the lump of clay anymore. 
He doesn't see the disobedience anymore. He doesn't see the, the object of his anger anymore. Now he looks at you and all he sees is Jesus. And so switch places. So now, whatever you ask in my name, yes, son. Whatever you need, yes, son. Because he has earned all of the favor of God and rose to life. And you're with him. And that means his righteousness is on you. And you didn't earn it, but you are made a saint. You are made holy. You are made righteous. You're made his. And you are belonging to him and brought near and not just near. Ready for this? Seated with him in heavenly places. And not just near. Are you ready for this? Indwelled by his Holy Spirit. That you will be his through and through. And the smoke and the fire comes down on you. And he's in you. And it's, oh, your face shines. Not because of you, but because of him. And your whole life changes because of what he's done. This is the gospel. It's not just going to heaven someday. It's becoming his. And it's so good. It's everything. Thank you, guys. Sit down. Well done. And the disciples don't get that yet. All they've seen is Jesus with a shining face, Jesus casting out demons, and then Jesus dying. And it's terrifying. And then Jesus rising to life, and they're just amazed at what he's done, amazed at his goodness. Matthew 28, here's what it says. We're going to start at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, he's raised from the dead now, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Who are these guys? This is Peter. This is John. This is James. This is the 11 who've lived with him for three years. These are going to be the apostles. These are the ones who start the church. These are the ones who proclaim the word of God. Every one of them will go to a death for the name of Jesus, except for one. Every one of them will die for Jesus, except for one. These are the people who are putting their lives on the line for him. These are the ones who know him, who have seen him. They hear and recognize his voice. And some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, remember, he's a king. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. This great king who has all authority stands before his disciples and tells them, I'm the king. Go do what I've told you to do. And then do you know what he does? He leaves. He goes to heaven and they're left standing there amazed. And they leave there and they hide in terror because they don't know what's happening. And several days later, they're in an upper room hiding in terror, and suddenly the power of God comes upon them as the Holy Spirit himself, the Spirit of Jesus, fills them. It's God. It's him. Fills his new temple, the people. 
and flames come over their head. They speak in other tongues. They're filled with his power. Suddenly everything changes. Suddenly they're not terrified and hiding in a house anymore, but they stumble out onto the balcony like drunk people and start proclaiming the word of God and the excellencies of all that he's done because they're astonished and marvel at his great kingdom. And in that day, everyone who hears it says, what must we do to be saved? Anything that God says, what must I do? And faithful to his word, they say, come be baptized. Follow him, I'll teach you everything that he said. Here's my question for you today. We heard this great word from David. Come near, draw near. That's from the Lord. Did you and yourself cry out, though, and say, Lord, I'm not who people think I am on Facebook. I'm not who I pretend to be here. Do you really mean for me to draw near? Do you really mean for me to come up to you? Are you nervous? Do you believe, but you need help with your unbelief? Do you see him resurrected, but you say, Lord, I worship you, but I doubt? I'm telling you from the word of God, get filled with the spirit. Come to Jesus. He's not one who says five more prayers. He's not one who says you didn't give enough money. He's not one who says you're not short enough, fat enough, tall enough, healthy enough. He's not one who says you have the wrong color hair. He doesn't care what color eyes you are. He made your eyes. He wanted them that way. He doesn't care if you wear the right designer clothes. He doesn't care. Instead, he pulls you to himself and he says, okay, because this God is so merciful and so kind that whatever things you need cast out of you, he will do it because he is the king of kings. And if you come before him and say, Lord, forgive me. I believe in you. Help me even with my unbelief. I'm telling you right now, he will scoop you up and make you his. And if you come to him and say, Lord, I believe you. I want to go all the way. I want to do everything that you've said to me. I want to follow you with my whole life, Lord. And I don't know what to do. Then stop just waiting and say, Lord, fill me with your power. I want to see you. And I'm telling you from the word of God, he will fill you. And suddenly this little funny thing that we did, this illustration, you're going to all of a sudden know his power come on you because the Holy Spirit is true to his word. And he will fill you. And now your life will suddenly shine with the presence of God and everything changes. And the first thing that happens is you want to obey him and follow him and serve, and serve him. And all the other desires start to flood away of everything that you used to be. And now your life is marked by obedience and love for Jesus and all good things. And I'm not talking about winning the lottery good things. I mean walking with him and knowing his peace. The truth of the gospel is this. It's not just about going to heaven. It's about becoming a new creation in Christ. If you don't know Jesus like this, if you don't trust him with everything you are, then I'm telling you you're not a Christian. If you trust him with everything you are, more than you trust your own heart, you're a Christian. And what that means is you know him who is raised from the dead, who has all power, who is God and the Lord Almighty. And if you have moments where you're not sure, bring them to him because he's kind. And say, Lord, I need you. I remember when I was a police officer, time passed from that big, that training thing I did, and this was not training. And I was the duty officer for the day that day, and I had other jobs that I was doing. So I worked a day job all day, if you will, doing logistics for our 
our unit. And um, at four o'clock, I was supposed to go check in with the police station. I was gonna be the duty officer for the night. So I get to work all day and all night. This is gonna be awesome. <clears throat> and so I walk in and um, I had come off other duty stuff and the, I'm getting the briefing from the desk sergeant who's telling you what's going on during the day. So you get ready for the night, that's, that's the deal. And so I'm wearing my uniform, but I don't have all my stuff on because I, I don't actually go on shift until six o'clock. So I'm getting all the pre-stuff done. You gotta sign a bunch of things, you gotta be ready to go. And while I'm doing this, the radio starts going off that there's a big emergency and things are going really bad. And the desk sergeant looks at me, grabs a pair of keys and he goes, you have to go now. Right now, you gotta go now. And I looked at him and I said, I don't have a driver's license. And he said, I don't care. Because you have to have a special driver's license to drive the police cars. I'd never driven a police car, actually, at that time, myself. Usually had a driver. So anyway, that's cool. Um, I went out, I hit the thing to figure out which car it was. I jumped in the car. And I got on my cell phone and I called the armorer, who's the person in charge of the weapons. And I said, bring me a loaded weapon. And he goes, roger that. And I screeched to a halt in front of my office and he ran out the door and handed me my weapon and I set it on the seat because I didn't even have a holster on. I had no body armor, I had nothing but a badge and a car and a gun. And while I was driving to the scene, I was figuring out how to make the siren work. I'd never done it before and it was awesome. 120 miles an hour, figuring out the siren was pretty wild. Driving, 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 driving. And I remember getting close to the address and seeing the lights of other cars that were already there. What do you do? I remember thinking, Lord, I don't have any body armor on. What am I, I'm literally gonna jump out of this car, put the gun on my belt like a gangster, and run into this house? What am I doing? What am I doing? And I'm telling you this story, it worked out fine. Everything was safe. By the time I got there, everything had sort of calmed down. I was on like red alert. Everybody else is like, what took you so long? You okay? And I, so I came in like red alert and everybody's like, okay, finally you're here. Okay, just take that guy to jail. And I was like, okay. So everything worked out fine. But here's what I'm telling you. If you're in red alert in your life, you don't even have body armor on. You're not sure. You say, Lord, I want to follow you. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Did you know that the Lord has armed you with more ammo, more firepower, and more protection, more armor, more everything that you need for life and godliness than you could ever realize? Did you know that he has surrounded you by his spirit, that he has put all of his power into you, that he's made you his ambassador and his testimony in the earth? Did you know that by your love for other Christians, you demonstrate that God sent the son? Did you know that when you open your mouth, the Lord himself puts words into your mouth that you can be able to speak with wisdom? Did you know that he will never leave you or forsake you? Did you know that this is the king of glory that says one word and demons flee? Did you know that the name of Jesus, situations change, and he's armed you not just with his name, but with his power, his authority, his righteousness. He has clothed you. He's made you his. He's placed a crown on your head. He has seated you with himself. When you pray, did you know that God hears your prayers and responds to you? Did you know that? Did you know that some demons can't come out but, but by prayer? But when you pray, God hears you. And maybe you're going into situations where it feels like red alert and you feel like I have no body armor on because God sent you armed with himself. 
because you're the one that's supposed to react to that situation, and it's your prayer that will change the day. How amazing is that? And at the end of the day, we're astonished at the majesty of God, not ourselves. We say, Lord, thank you that you used me to do this good. Uh, what was I? I was a sack of dirt. And the Lord says, no, you're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. You're ro royally robed. You belong to me. You're my ambassador. You're my witness on the earth. When you pray, I listen. And so if you're saying, Lord, help me with my unbelief, I'm telling you, there's so much firepower here. He hears you. He listens to you. He scoops you up. What should you do then? Pray. Say, Lord, I'm yours. Help me with my unbelief. The second thing we should do is go out and tell people about Jesus. See what he does. See what happens when you pray. How amazing is that? And the third thing is open your mouth here as a testimony to what God has done so that we're all built up to see what Jesus is doing. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you're a good king. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you didn't leave us alone, but you called us to yourself. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that everyone here, Lord, would see you. Lord, let us see your shining face. Lord, let us see all that you've done to fulfill the law and the prophets. And Lord, as we come to you as we really are, Father, thank you that you forgive us. Lord, any hints of doubt in us, any things that are in us where we are unsure, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would solidify in us, not just our faith, but Lord, our trust in you, that you, O oh God, are, lead, are leading us. Father, help us to feel your hand as you are moving us forward because we know that you are good. And Father, use us every day that we would bring light into the darkness to demonstrate your power and to show people who you are. You are good, God. And we ascribe to you all glory, all majesty. We are astonished at your glory, your majesty, and your kingdom. Thank you, God. May the grace of the Father, may the rule of the Son, and may the power of the Holy Spirit fill you as you go from this place to do his will. God bless you. Have a great week. We're dismissed.